Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On this episode, I rate and review each menu chapter of A Rise of Skywalker screener. Do I like more scenes than I dislike? And does that reflect my overall feelings about the film? And you can play along with the chapter list in this episode's show notes. Plus, what I would have liked to have seen done different, what plot points seem to have changed mid-production, how that affects the film, and so much more. This is Steel Wars episode 232, Scoring the Rise of Skywalker. Hey guys, welcome to Steel Wars. I am Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And on this week's episode, we're going to do something that I'm very excited about. I uh, I need to get this out of my system. And uh, I've been looking forward to doing for uh, a little bit now is I've got a screener of The Rise of Skywalker. And what I'm going to do is a chapter-by-chapter breakdown and review of the film. And what I want to do, which for some reason fascinates me, is I'm going to give each chapter... I'm going to make up my own uh, Blu-ray chapters for uh, the screener. And I'm going to score each chapter out of five... And then I will average that score at the end because I'm, I'm fascinated about how you view the whole film compared to parts of the film. Because like with like Attack of the Clones, which seems to be one of the most um, kicked about chapters of, uh, of Star Wars film, but it has some of the best bits like the whole Django versus Kenobi you know whether it's in the rain or in space it's all golden love it Geonosis huge fan of Geonosis Droid Factory less so so that's what I'm getting at and uh, so I, I thought it'd be interesting to take in and, and separate like the, the, the really positive things about uh, The Rise of Skywalker for me and then the things I found less positive because um, sometimes, you know, this film, like every Star Wars film, some people loved it, some people didn't. But I, I feel like one of those things of being a Star Wars fan and staying sane is to uh, celebrate the things that we love in each film because, you know, George Lucas brought out A New Hope. We all loved it. It was, um, you know, considered pretty perfect because that was our our first thing. It wasn't contradicting anything. And then, um, you know, I, I remember, uh, who was it in Lucasfilm? One of the merchandising, but the name's... 
evading me. Was it the producer? Was it anyway? But someone didn't like Yoda in the original trilogy because they thought it was so different from what was sort of put forward, established in uh, A New Hope. They thought Yoda that wasn't following what they thought Star Wars was about. So uh, I find all that stuff really interesting. So what I'm going to do is I will watch each virtual chapter and then I'll come back and uh, you know quickly break down what went down in those scenes. You've seen the film. You know what's going on as well. Um, talk about what I like, what we don't like, or what I don't like, um, things around that, and uh, and then we'll give it uh, the score out of five for my uh, statistical analysis. There's, there's something about scoring that I... I I don't know. I'm, I'm not into sports at all. I'm recording this while the Super Bowl is occurring. So um, why am I so fascinated with scoring? I have no idea. But, um, hey, I am, uh, I'm very excited to get into this. So um, I'm going in with an open mind, both pro and con. And uh, I hope you join me on my journey. And... Um, if you're a Patreon and uh, you've got any uh, any comments, things you agree with, things you disagree with, you're scoring differently, um, write that in the comments and uh, we'll do a Q&A uh, episode harking back to those questions and comments and uh, we'll get a little conversation going and have some fun with it because I, I, I think like pro or con – I don't mind hearing anyone's take on it as long as their their reasoning is sound. Do you know what I mean? Dumpster fire doesn't do it for me. I, <laughs> dumpster fire, describing something as a dumpster fire is the dumpster fire of reviews. It's, um, it's not very constructive and it's such a uh, overused term that it's, it's become kind of hack. So uh yeah we won't be we won't be straying there and neither should you but um they're excited start watching this film in short bursts and then talking it's, it's going to be a great time so uh let's go So let's talk about the crawl episode 9 the rise of skywalker the dead speak the galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leah Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power. The confusing thing, I actually, first up, The Dead Speak, love it. Huge fan. Um, I know it's like, it is a funny line (laughs) to use on Twitter in response to certain things. Um, But as an opening thing to uh, this film, I, I actually really like it. In retrospect, the fact that we don't get any explanation how the dead ever spoke, it does um, 
open it up for uh, a little bit of introspection after that. Um, but as, a, as as an opening to a crawl, I, I think it's sort of like hilariously Star Wars. I like it. Attack of the Clones. The dead speak. War. Um, I'm into that. I'm into that. Now, um, so I am going to give uh, the crawl, your know, crawl score pretty high. Um, I'm going to give that a, 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 a four. It, it is tarnished. We'll get a five. It's an easy five normally. But the fact that um, the dead speak is all we're going to get um, on that topic, you know, and there's a little bit of sheep stuff, but, mm, you know, it's all... This will be an ongoing thing. In the last episode of the films, the Skywalker saga, I'm, I'm a bit more attuned to wrapping things up and, and, and not leaving things open to interpretation. Especially when, in a movie sense, there is no more things to interpret. This is it. So you want things a little bit more conclusive. I am confused, though, that the galaxy heard a mysterious broadcast of the Emperor... But then later on in the film, he broadcasts again and everyone's shocked. Now, is there details like in, in like Pablo's book or something saying that only certain people got this or it was, it was up for debate that it was him? Hmm. It is strange that the opening crawl is conclusive that it's Emperor Palpatine, as far as I read it. But then our heroes have not... They've got to read the crawl. Do you know what I mean? If if Poe Dameron read the crawl, then um, that poor guy in uh, a few scenes doesn't lose his head because they wouldn't have needed the information. I guess they did get details about it, so uh, that would help. But the guy lost his head, you guys. So anyway, Crawl, I'm, uh, I'm going to fall. Chapter two is Kylo Ren on Mustafa fighting the uh, the Darth Vader disciples to get to the Wayfinder in the snow-covered forest. This is a sweet scene. Slow motion, Kylo Ren, ducking and weaving, stabbing and jabbing with uh, his Repronged lightsaber, and I the, the the shot of him at the end with just everyone dead around him, and he's just breathing heavily in the forest. It's pretty good. Then he uh, finds the wayfinder and picks it up, leading to awesome. Very much love this shot of when he looks in the wayfinder. There's a red streak which evolves into him flying across the galaxy heading to Exegol. And the camera sort of goes in to the Wayfinder. 
epic. Love that. Now, the opening of the film was going to be so much different with, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen this, but Kylo Ren goes to an oracle, which I think was on Mustafa rather than the Wayfinder. And the oracle is a giant baby's head in water with like an organic Beaumont monk on top, this spider thing that lives on this giant baby's head. It, I, it's, if they filmed this, which I'm told they did, um, I, I need to see video of, like, was this a practical baby's head in water with a giant spidery thing on it? Because I, I want to see this. It would be a shame if it was going to be CGI. And uh, so the actual original footage didn't contain that. But um, so she, he, Kylo Ren would go to the Oracle, who apparently explained about the dyad and how it was all, you know, their powers, uh, you know, it was all going to work. They were a dyad in the Force and, and, you know, sort of set him on his way and also say how to get to Exegol, I think, or give some information about uh, what Sheev is up to. And I think one of the things that would have made the film a little bit tighter is if Sheev knew his ultimate plan the whole way through. Like when he sort of stumbles upon that there are dyad in the force and that's going to bring him back to life, I think it's it's more Palpatine that he knew that the whole time and his aim was to get them together in front of him. Like, if that was his end goal the whole time, it just seems like you're telling the same story, which will be a common theme in this podcast where I propose ways where you can tell basically the same story with uh, sticking between my guidelines of what I want to see in a Star Wars film, or especially the last Star Wars film in the Skywalker saga. But, um, yeah, I'd much rather it if, cause, cause Palpatine was always such a, stra- just a strategic guy, um, you know, through all of, um, all of the films, even if you include his plot to, uh, come back from the dead, and, and set up the first order. Like that whole thing is just such amazing strategy. So it's sort of a little bit out of character at the end that he stumbles in, that he didn't have that information already. Uh, like information that would benefit him that he didn't have. I find that would have just like tightened like his end and, and, and in the end made him a lot cooler. It's uh it is pretty weird that it's on Mustafar and we sort of don't see anything like the only reason we know it's on Mustafar is because a book said it was on Mustafar or, or someone tweeted it out. There there is nothing establishing it for for the viewer. And apparently I think Vader's castle is destroyed or something it still would have been cool maybe to show it destroyed so we got because who, who doesn't want to see more of Vader's castle? Like, that is just a fascinating visual. So to see it, like, destroyed even would be, like, exciting. 
and, you know, just a couple of seconds of screen time. So the whole thing of it being on Mustafar is like it doesn't count towards anything for the, the viewer watching, except if they've seen the film a second time or read spoilers and like connections even as tangible as just saying, oh, that planet you know as Mustafa is Mustafa is um, exciting uh, to you, which which those sort of like, like just throwaway connections in the end like are a negative to me because it's sort of just like either make it part of the story or just, you know, leave things be. Now, my goal in scoring these chapters is sort of, not to review what was chopped out of the film. I will discuss that and whether I think that's good or bad, but I'm trying not to add that to my score. So, like, this scene, just, just by itself, pretty great. Pretty great. So, I'm, uh, I'm going a four on that one. Okay, this chapter is a little bit longer than we've had thus far. It's Kylo Ren landing on Exegol. Uh, walking away from his TIE fighter, igniting his lightsaber like a badass next to him, and then going down the elevator. Very cool stuff. And then the Emperor starts uh, talking to him, and he mentions that he kills Snoke, and there's that sweet line of like, I've been every voice inside your head, and it changes from his to Snoke to Darth Vader, which is super cool. Love that, because that really clarifies... It sort of muddies the water on Snoke, but I do love that now we know that Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, was never communicating with Kylo Ren. Because it never made sense. Because... Like, like the th- people talk about, oh, you know, you, you you like you belittle, you know, some things that happen in the sequel trilogy make you know ruin Return of the Jedi or lessen Return of the Jedi, whatever. But one thing that definitely would, in my opinion, is if the spirit of Darth Vader is speaking to Kylo Ren when you know Darth Vader was inverted commas redeemed or brought back to the light side and was Anakin Skywalker again. So it, it never, you know, if, if his spirit or some part of him had reverted to evil, that would really um, take a lot of air out of Return of the Jedi if you wanted to, you know, take in everything that was uh, put forth to you in all the films. It's funny that after The Last Jedi, the theories were that it was Snoke that was putting um, Vader's voice into Kylo Ren's head. But it was the Emperor. Did Snoke... How much does Snoke know about being a Snoke? Like, as the the scene plays out, Kylo Ren walks through the... um, the the cloning cylinders with all the the messed up Snokes trying to make Snokes and there's cloners there, which 
I would have. I and this is one of the things I'm going to suggest along the way is more little references that embrace the entire Skywalker saga. I I, I feel like this film is an amazing tribute and conclusion to the original trilogy, The Force Awakens, and one sweet line out of Revenge of the Sith, which is actually in this scene where um, the Emperor says, the dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities, some consider to be unnatural, lightning, flashing. I actually think that's really cool. Uh, the, like the sort of Frankenstein, um, that sort of old horror film type um, flashing of lights and ominous things getting told in an ominous voice. I think that's really cool. But I have a lot of fun making these suggestions. So bear with me. I will make many and uh, let us know which ones you like. I would have thought it was cool if there was actually Camino. Camino ends. Camino ends. The cloners, they're uh, working on the Snokes. Perhaps they could be chained, like imprisoned, and they were enslaved to work on these clones. They got in too deep with um, Sidious and uh, how he treats people that are... his friends and his enemies. Kind of like uh, Jesse Pinkman at the, in the last season of Breaking Bad, how he was um, imprisoned to make meth by that bikey gang. Um, yeah, that, that just could be a cool extra. And it also just shows how, or it would show, how ruthless Sheev is and how he's just, like anyone that's come into contact with him has, has come off worse off, you know, so I thought that would be uh, really cool. And give a little hug, a little hug to Attack of the Clones, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched Attack of the Clones. That was a good film. That's part of the Skywalker saga. Let's in- embrace that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But does Snow know about this? That is very confusing. Does Snoke know about this? The other thing, and this is another one of my little bugbears with um, how JJ puts together these stories, is it doesn't match up with the comics at all. Um, You know, the Charles um, Sewell, Kylo Ren... Um, comics which have, have been met with great sales and great reaction. First issues in in reprints, and I know the second one sold out. So that's um, that's good. People are after this Kylo Ren, and but Snoke looks like Snoke, 
because of some incident he had with Luke Skywalker, according to these comics. So why would the cloned... Like, were they cloning him to replace him? So they were making it like he was damaged like the current Snoke was? And, like, like, like that's annoying that that doesn't um, match up. And like, to be honest, I am... I'm a very gullible Star Wars fan. When they had that announcement on StarWars.com that they were rebooting the canon and that it was all going to match up, I actually thought it would match up perfectly. (laughs) Like, I understand now why it doesn't and why it probably never will. Or it might in the future if they change the way they work. But I, I do feel like they gave the reins too much to JJ and he sort of didn't play within the rules of the established canon where he like just throws things in that you don't really need to, to, to pepper up the story like Poe Dameron being a spy smuggler. And that sort of contradicts, um, the established backstory that he was um, he flew for the New Republic and then he joined the Resistance. And I know now there's a book coming out that's going to establish a little side story where he does become a Spice um, runner for a little bit. But, um, yeah, just stuff like that. And in even calling the, um, the pyramid thing, the Sith pyramid, a wayfinder, when like, pr- pretty much any Star Wars fan that's read a novel or a comic would, would probably know that it looks exactly the same as a holocron. The toys that they constantly sell out of at um, Galaxy's Edge. And it just seems like such a... Like, just call it a holocron. And then people, oh, we got to see a holocron in, in, in real life. That, that's cool. But they have to call it a wayfinder to, and, and admittedly, one of my complaints is that the, the plot is a little bit complicated um, or convoluted, um, might be a, a, a better word, but that seems like just such a dumbing down of the, the you could just say the Sith holocrons have a map to Exegol and we only know of two. Or well, these are the only two we know the locations of. But it's like it's a wayfinder, and they're the only two in the galaxy that will direct you to Exegol. It's um, yeah. I just I feel like the sort of exaggeration of stuff, like in the film, in this film, um, it, it, it gnaws at me a little bit. And uh, we'll talk about you know work with the the planet destroying star destroyers and all that sort of stuff later on. Now, um. Kylo Ren says to the Emperor, um, what can you possibly offer me? And then the Emperor makes all the Star Destroyers come out of the ice, the the, the dirt, um, comes out of the ground. A thousand Star Destroyers. Um, I'm not sure how this planet... Does that even work? I guess, it, I guess planets are big. Like how many... P- how many Star Destroyers would it take to go around a planet? Like, this this planet is just going to be littered with these giant Star Destroyer holes. 
Exegol ain't what it used to be. I um, So, yeah, he sort of like flashes and makes... And the editing of this kind of um, stands out to me as a negative because he's talking, but the vision we're seeing is happening at a different rate of time than he's talking. Because he's like talking to Kylo Ren, and as he does that, he snaps his fingers, makes the Star Destroyers come up. At the end of the sentence, there's a, a thousand Star Destroyers in the air. At the end of the sentence, like it doesn't, it, it couldn't have possibly happened within that time. So I, the start of this scene, we've been going down the elevator around all the the Sith um, statues and stuff. Just love, love, love. Like, I I remember being just on the edge of my seat, um, enjoying this conversation between them, the things that would be revealed. Love that. But then with um, the Star Destroyers, and I know that, like you're saying, that might sound really petty, but the thing is, it took me out of the film. I was like, oh, this is kind of ridiculous. Like, why even, how much more effort would it be? So... These Sith cultists, right, that apparently built these Star Destroyers, they they build a thousand Star Destroyers and it's like, oh, I'm glad that's done. Man, a thousand Star Destroyers. Boy, must we love the Sith. And then it's like, all right, well, let's go down. We'll go down to the Sith Stadium and just celebrate our Sithness. And they're like, no, 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 no. We've got to bury them. He he also wants them buried. Burying them, that's almost as much work as making them. (laughs) Oh, well. You got a shovel? Off we go. Space shovel. So, yeah, I I, I know that sort of sounds like a, um, you know, a petty thing, but it, it did break me out of the film. So, hey. Pettiness, here we come. And also there is the tease that Ray is not who we thought she was, which is more than a tease. It's a it's a spoiler, not a prediction, to uh, quote Paul Heyman. So this scene started real strong and ended with kind of a f- my first warning signs about the film for me. So I'm going a two on this one, you guys. Alrighty, our next chapter, we jump to our heroes, to oof, golden scene. Chewbacca, Poe Dameron and Finn are playing a bit of Dejeric on the Falcon to Jerick table. It's funny, it's warm, it's fun. Chewbacca, again, getting a bit grumpy and uh, those guys trolling him. It's just it's just a, such a, just a sweet scene. And then they arrive at, uh, at the station where their mission is. They walk past Cord, the, the giant... Um, I don't know what that thing is. He's just a big wormy cord man. And I love in true 
George Lucas 80s tradition, 70s tradition, sweet character, they just walk past. That's it. We can be done. You've, we've got that. You got a glimpse. And now we're, uh, we're getting back to the story. One thing, this tiny little thing that I do love um, as they arrive, Finn is uh, walking through the Falcon or sort of jogging or what he's, he's in a hurry through the Falcon. And he says to R2, are you ready? And then a barrel rolls as they turn. And as he's walking, he just jumps the barrel. I, there's something about that that I think is really cool. <clears throat> it just adds a bit of realism to um, how the, the, the Falcon is moving. And it, and it is the ship that you're seeing in the, um, the battle sequences and stuff. So um, I love that. They uh, arrive to uh, chat to Julio, and the, um, who's the, uh, the information leaker, whatever, the uh, help to the resistance. And I love when they, whenever they open a hatch on the Falcon. It's always exciting to, to see a hatch get used on, uh, on the old girl. Now, Star Wars universe. Guys... Boffins, your data transfer technology is, you, you've got hyperspace travel. And and this is sort of one of the rad things I love about Star Wars is how some stuff is super futuristic and then some stuff is like, like all their computer readouts and buttons and stuff are so like ghetto compared to um, what we have in the modern day. Um you know, whereas like the starship of like the Enterprise in the next, you know, with all their touchscreens and that is far more, uh, you know, technologically advanced looking. Um, so I, I, I love that uh, they have to plug this giant thick cable into R2-D2 and, and get all this information, this, this data. The data is so dense that, um, you know, you can't use your firewire, you can't airdrop. It only works half the time. And as for email, get Dropbox. You need space Dropbox, Star Wars universe. Then we have the Falcon Chase, which, you know, J.J. Abrams knows how to do a Falcon Chase. Now, there's uh, no way this chase sort of compares, in my opinion, to the one in The Force Awakens 1. Part of it is that that one came first. Do you know what I mean? I also, I, I sort of think the one in The Last Jedi doesn't match the Jakku one in The Force Awakens either. But, um, you know, that's not to say anything like negative about him. But I, I do feel that in the next scene, J.J., tried to push this one over and it was in the wrong direction. But that's in the next scene. The whole sequence of playing to Jarek, going past Cord, getting the plans from Julio, played by Mark Hamill. Um, you can tell he was having fun with that. From uh, It just sounds like he, he went for a really fun voice. And who doesn't like seeing Mark Hamill have fun? Then the uh, TIE fighter chase going through the ice, into hyperspace. I love it. It's not it's not redefining Star Wars, but it's 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 pretty sweet Star Wars nonetheless. So I'm gonna give that one a four. I uh, had a lot of fun, but it didn't um, blow my mind. So uh, but some damn 
some damn fine Star Wars, nonetheless. The, the Jakku scene of the same thing would definitely be a five, just for those uh, scoring at home. Okay, so the next chapter is super short. It is the uh, hyperspace skipping scene. I'm not sure if I split it off from the last one um, just to be nicer to the last chapter because I really didn't like the hyperspace skipping. I, I was sort of confused about what was happening when I first watched it and I sort of didn't realize why they had to do it. I don't know. There was so much weird stuff like with hyperspace in The Last Jedi, I just felt, I don't know, it, 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 it didn't connect with me at all. And from a I'm a nerd uh, point of view, the fact that they randomly in the entire galaxy arrive, like jump into these like crazy situations so close to planets, um, I don't know. It just it just does nothing for me. I the the. the, the also, that one of the planets, like, it, it does look like Cloud City. I think it's some weird mirrored space station thing or something, but it just, like, the fact that it looks like Cloud City is also, I was like, huh? But, yeah, it was it was definitely when I first saw it, I was shocked that I was seeing this because it just seemed like Star Tours. Um, much like The Last Jedi... Uh, when Maz Kanata is uh, communicating via hologram, I felt like I was on Star Tours as well. So I just... I just feel like this is just putting on too much topping on the ice cream. Uh, and, and he was trying to... JJ was trying to sort of um, take the, the Millennium Falcon chase trope you know, further, but I, 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 I kind of feel like he went a bit too far with this. So when I first watched this, I remember just being completely bewildered at what was happening. So I'm giving this one a one and on to the next, which, uh, I know is a race scene. So it is guaranteed to, uh, get higher than that. Here we go. Okay, the next scene is the uh, the Ray training scene on the uh, at the new Resistance base. Um, before we get into this one, I there is many things in this film that I read as J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio sort of responding to fan complaints. Uh, from The Last Jedi. We'll we'll see how they play out. Um, I I, I think some of them, like really responding to them or reacting to them really detracts from the film. And some, if this one, like, you know, because people going on about, oh, Ray's not, you know, she hasn't been trained and all that sort of stuff. So you could interpret this as this is the, you know, to show that she's been training and stuff. So that is a response. But... I also think it's awesome to show her training and show her working on her skills. And it is a, um, you know, the, the beautiful 
uh, surroundings that she was doing it in. There's a sort of wide sweeping shot as she runs across that bridge um, and, and she's fighting with the uh, the training remotes and stuff. So, I, I, do you know what I mean? You can interpret it that it is, you know, one of the things to add to the list of responding to fan complaints, but it also really contributes to the film, in, in, in my opinion. So, she is chatting to... Uh, oh, no, it starts off with her floating and uh, all the rocks are floating around her which apparently was how sort of like seems like what Luke Skywalker was going to be doing at the end of The Force Awakens um, when he walked up to... When Ray walked up to Luke, there was going to be floating rocks and stuff. And Ryan asked for that to be changed because, you know, in his script, Luke was going to be closed off to The Force, which is a story for a different time. But also explains why he didn't come for uh, Han, you know, to help Han Solo. In my little head cannon. But yeah, she's floating around. The rocks are sort of doing this kind of like infinity-like, like cool, it's like circular thing around her. Amazing visual. Uh, I, I like how she sort of, does this weird gymnast flip out of it. And then she starts talking to Leia. Now, the Leia scenes are going to be hard to review because of the way they're edited in. And, like, I I think she's, like, way better in The Last Jedi. But, like, Carrie Fisher in The Force Awakens, like, some of her lines are, like, they're pretty... Like, they're pretty stiff readings. Like, when when she... and, And I think maybe... You know, when you do this Star Wars dialogue, you sort of have to naturalize it a bit. Um, you know, I think the famous quote, I think from Carrie Fisher, is that you can um, type this beep, but you can't say it. I'm not sure if it was her or Harrison Ford. Someone listening to this will know. But uh, probably many of you. I, I, I felt like she sort of struggled with, like when she says Snoke, it just, like, I don't know. It just, anyway. So you're dealing with, that she's acting not in the scene that she's her character is in in the film, and also that you know maybe she her line readings were a bit off as well. So it makes for a um, a distilted scene whenever she's um, or most whenever she's interacting with another character. So, but that's you know I, I sort of have to grade on the curve with that a little bit. Because that's the situation that they were in, which is um, really sad, really sad. So yeah, she does when does the training. Then it crosses over to Kylo Ren looking at the Darth Vader helmet, thinking about it wasn't really you, Granddaddy, that was talking to me, or was it, or wasn't it? I don't know. And then him reaching out knocks Ray off her game and she gets stung by the the training remotes and in a really cool misdirection, you think she's going to, the lightsaber is going to come back, she's going to catch it and she will um, destroy the remote. But she uses her staff and goes old school Jakku to smash it. And then the, the really fun... 
uh, laugh, not line, but laugh visual of uh, BB-8 getting stuck under one of the trees she chopped down. But it was um, so cool to go back to the flashback and and revisit that, I guess, both for, um, you know, diehard fans like myself that watched it in slow motion. And I, I know that was one of the things when I interviewed Julian Schmirk that did the editing on The Force Awakens, a, a crucial podcast, in my humble opinion, to understanding The Force Awakens and how it came together. But, um, you know, that's what I said to him. I said, like, like would, do you think that this flashback thing is, go- is going to be explained? Um, as it turns out, that scene with the Knights of Ren never really was. But all the other stuff was. It would have been cool if they um, made the opening Mustafar scene the scene where he stabs the villager in the flash, the force back, and then it would have been a look to the future. It's weird because they got the same sort of helmet as well. So I wonder if that was ever like something that they were thinking about tying in because, you know, he's got that same like saucepan helmet, like Zuvio um, in the force awakens flashbacks. I wonder if that was ever, or they just love, they, I know in the Mandalorian, it's a trending hat. It's like a, um, you know, the dad hat of the star Wars universe. Um, the new era, everyone's rocking these saucepan, um, <laughs> um, hats all, all, all around the galaxy, all eras, man, it's a classic, but, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wonder if that was ever, or it's just common. They're just using these hats all the time now, but anyway, um, so it was re it was really cool to, um, reignite that part of the storyline for the more casual viewer to remind them that there was that flashback and we're going to be, it's, it's almost like, um, previously on Star Wars, but they can't do that. Um, They've got the crawl, but there's only you can't always say. And and also, guys, don't remember, don't forget that flashback because we'll be bringing that up later in the film. I love this scene. It is it is a sweet primer for um, for reveals to come. Regardless of not liking those reveals, I, I like I was definitely at this point of the film very heightened. I was um, I was excited at what was to come. And uh, I was I, I was loving the visuals and and watching Ray Train just ah the best so cool so guys we've we've gone the the previous uh, chapter was a one this one is going to go at the other end with a five and that's why I find the process so <laughs> fascinating it's in the same film straight after each other um, all right let's keep at it. Okay, so the next chapter is Ray apologizing or explaining herself to a Princess Leia. This scene's pretty interesting. I'm I'm kind of um admire it 
in how it uses lines that Carrie Fisher had previously said, say, I, I'm guessing these are all from The Force Awakens. And I don't know, I just love how they piece, they've got these puzzle pieces and they, they ride around it. I, I Yeah. So what, 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 one of the things I mean is like um, Ray says, it looks like I'm making excuses, something like that. And Princess Leia or um, General Leia says, don't tell me what things look like, tell me what they are. I just, I don't know. There's something about how they use that specific, like they wrote around that, that um, I, uh, I, 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 yeah, I admire. I think that's really cool. I, I do think the constant handing back of the lightsaber back and forth, it's like they had this footage of Leia handing over a lightsaber and they just had to use it. Um, and then, like, Ray says um, something like, oh, one day I'll deserve your brother's or earn your brother's saber. And I don't know, she sort of says that like it's some sort of, I don't, it, it just doesn't feel like that, like it feels like it's setting up a quest to, to like earn the saber. But I don't really feel like that's fulfilled at the end of the film. Like, you know, she uses the saber, but she's, you know, been using it for a while now. So, yeah, I, I just, I feel like maybe that was one thing that they had that footage and so they wrote into the script, they're handing back and forth and and sort of wedged in that line. And, and then, like, you know, Princess Leia then hands it back to her to go on the mission. Um, and it, I think... Those two shots are the same shot, but reversed. Um, but we'll, 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 we'll check in to that. But yeah, I just, I don't know. She buries the sabers at the, like, is that the conclusion to her earning the saber? I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a bit, um, it didn't work well. They didn't integrate that one well. And one that they did an amazing job on is when, um, Ray says to BB-8 that, oh, you can't help me with that about earning the saber. And Leia says, never underestimate a droid. And then that line, of course, is used later on during the um, the speeder chase on that desert planet. Um, and then Ray says, never underestimate a droid. And I don't know, I like that. Like having to wedge in Carrie Fisher's lines actually benefited the film in that because I, I, I think her like saying that line, saying Carrie Fisher's line later on in the in the movies, like I reckon it's cool, you guys. I kind of feel like sometimes Daisy Ridley's eyeline isn't right with where Carrie Fisher's eyeline would be just in a couple of the shots and that sort of threw me out of the back and forth, but I'm not sure if I'm doing that, if I'm looking at that extra hard because I know they're not, um, they're not there. You know, the same thing happened in the Phantom Menace with, um, you know, the eyelines to, to Jar Jar Binks. They weren't always, Ewan McGregor wasn't always spot on with where Jar Jar Binks' eyes were. 
regardless of anything else that happens in this scene. And I, I think it's a it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty great scene. Um, lightsaber handing back and forth, uh, non-withstanding. When Princess Leia walks off, and Ray says "Yes, Master," and sort of has this not smile but contentment in that she has a master, that puts this scene at a five. Love it. Daisy Ridley is so good. Just such a warm, like that look just brought such warmth to the story. Um, Oh, the best. Ray's the best. So, five. Big five. Someone's just braked out the front of my house too. They're so stunned by my giving out of a five over that scene. You should not be. It is Ray's, that look. Good Star Wars. Good Star Wars. All right, so our next chapter starts off with Ray reading the sacred Jedi texts at uh, Resistance Base, which was so cool. I thought, oh, were you thrilled to see the text back? I was. I, I, I popped in the theatre to uh, see the text back. Is it's hard to, I, I think it is because the vines go down, but it's sort of not that clear if the the Tantive is in a cave or not, or in a hangar. But looking at the vines, it appears to be in a hangar because it's like super dark in there. And then when um, she goes to the Falcon, because it's on fire, it's uh, like fully daytime. But it's, I, I guess they'd never show the roof of the cave for budgetary roof reasons. I know I saw um, a set of it and it was like in a giant hangar. Very impressive. Very impressive. Uh, Poe and Finn arrive back and very uh, good, fast-paced. J.J. Abrams, uh, classic, uh, humorous Star Wars banter with the um, all of it on fire and... You're a difficult man. There's something very cool about how she said that. I like the delivery. Um, So, yeah, they're getting getting frustrated that Ray's not out there fighting. And that features, that bit features this sweet 360 uh, camera angle that goes right around, which was very impressive set-wise. And I, I like this discussion because... I'm always interested in how the non-Force users, what they think's going on in the Force world. Because, like, all through these movies, the the Jedi, or the potential Jedi, they go off on these, you know, Force-filled adventures. And, and, and what do the, the normies, what do they think's going on? Like, it is, um, you know, and, and, and sort of Poe seems frustrated about sort of not understanding the quest that she's in or the quest that she's on. So I I like that um, sort of addressing that a little bit. Now, this is a a, a quick little menu chapter. And I I should point out with how I'm scoring this, it's kind of like the worm 
they, they, they used to have that in uh, Australian, maybe they still do that on Australian TV, but when they'd have like a political debate, they'd have an audience there and they would be saying if they liked what they were hearing or disliked and it would be signified by a worm. So pretty much if uh, like three, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of moderate on, uh, two is lessened my enjoyment and one is really lessened my enjoyment, three Four is uh, the, like enjoyed it, and five is whoa, very good, very good. So I'm, I'm just giving you the uh, the boundaries of um, the scoring, the worm. We should have it with the worm. We should do that at celebration. Everyone watches the entire saga and does the worm the whole time. Thirty hours of worm work. It'd be great. But I'm, uh, that was a, a fun little chapter, so I'm, I'm going with a four. Next up, we've got a classic Star Wars meeting scene with uh, the Resistance gathered under the Tantive Four, where Poe Dameron reveals to the Resistance somehow Palpatine returns. <laughs> The the meta-ness of that <laughs> Somehow, we don't know either, guys. <laughs> and then um, Rose Tico says, do we believe this? Which, that's... A, like, read the crawl. It was in the crawl. They said it. So I, I always get confused with... There's a message that beams out, which I know that they played the scene in Fortnite or something. Ugh. Very odd. Anyway, I, I haven't even bothered to watch it. But um, there's a scene that they put in the Fortnite game. I don't even understand how that really works, but... Maybe it's, I don't know, virtual and you... I don't know. But anyway, you can watch the message or hear the message go out. Um, they put that in there as some sort of promotion because it was cut out of the film, so they still used it. I was I was, I was so um, just like, uh, about how they were putting that out there that I um, I couldn't generate the, uh, the urge. But, yeah, I sort of... I feel like it conflicts... Like, the message went out in the crawl, and it was heard everywhere. But there, I it's just... I don't know. And uh, maybe, like, it has been explained, and people listening to this are going, oh, no, no, but if you read this and that and that and the other. But, like, I don't know what that is. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as fair as possible with the film. And, you know, I've watched it, I don't know, like eight times or something. So, and I'm watching it intently. So I, I feel like I should be able to work this out. Uh, this scene, well, he was briefly seen in the previous scene, but we've got uh, Akbar Jew, Jr., um, Akju, if you will. And I don't know, guys. Like and, and this is another one of those things where it's it seems like a response to the fan criticism uh, with Akbar dying, 
unceremoniously in um, The Last Jedi. I, and, and to be honest, I, I think so much. That was so overblown. He's like a fun, loved background character that, you know, in the scheme of things, he's like so much more popular because of Robot Chicken. Um, you know, he, he didn't like, you know, people loved Akbar before Robot Chicken, but, you know, that put Akbar like in, you know, like Boba Fett, Boba Fett country of, of like characters, pop culture characters in Star Wars. Um, and just don't put it in. Like, like, do you have to replace it with his son? Like, I just feel like sometimes it's like, hey, this might be interpreted that we're just replacing this because this film does like replace so many things that happened in um, The Last Jedi. Uh, like, like for instance, you know, Kylo's mask, it's, it's, it's put back together, um, which, you know, for marketing, it, it's super good. Um, although, you know, Adam Driver's face is... Um, that sells a few movie tickets as well. But, you know, maybe for... Uh, but, I don't know, just stuff like that. Do they, like, is, is that a conversation that they have? Like, with Disney and Lucasfilm is like, we, we should have some scenes with the mask on so we can sell some figures and, like, I, I, I don't know if that's a conversation they have or not. Um, fascinated to know. But... Um, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I just think like it's so, it can be interpreted either way on having like Akbar Jr. in there. It's just like, leave it out. It's, it's just unnecessary. Um, was his eyes CGI though? Did he, was he, did he have blinking CGI eyes? He, he seemed to blink amazingly well. Um, so yeah, Poe announces that it's, um, he has returned and then Charlie from Lost, the uh, the bass player from Drive Shaft, he chimes in. You all, everybody. Dark science, cloning secrets only the Sith knew. Which well, the comedians they knew this. They knew cloning things as well. But he might be referring to the actual transfer of the body. But I, I, I can't. Anytime he's on it, I'm just like, what are you doing here, dude? Like, you, you want to bet? Like, I, I, I think Dominic Monaghan's like, he seems like a great guy and loved him in Lost. Wish him much success. But just the old mating of JJ, of, of him and Greg Grunberg and, you know, himself as, as Dio, uh, a character that has grown on me for uh, various reasons I'll go into later on. But it's just it, it, like when you've got Rose Tico not getting many lines and the old mates are getting all these, like they just seem like such, oh, we need, got to give, got to give Dominic a line, you know, give him stuff. But then also the, just the, the explanation of how, the explanation of how Palpatine came back is the dead speak. Somehow Palpatine returned, one of my favourite movie lines ever, and Dark Science, Cloning Secrets, Only the Sith Knew. I don't know. Like, I'm interested. Do you guys 
hear that and go, okay, fair enough, let's move on. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I move on, but it's to me, it, it, it's your like you've taken this big sort of you've done this big narrative turnaround where Palpatine's back from the dead, but it doesn't seem like they're putting in the hard yards riding wise to earn that. Like, I feel like the explanation doesn't live up to the massive thing they did. Um, and then, you know, I'm sure there is the point of view where it's like, it's, it's meant to be all mysterious and stuff, explaining stuff like that. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of like Mortis or the world between worlds. So it's all, it's all taste, but this is my interpretation. Then also there's like, you know, Poe Dameron explaining in 16 hours, ah, don't mention short time frames in Star Wars. It ruins it. Because the rest of the film does not seem like 16 hours of time to me. Like, you know, they go to they go to a planet. They go to a planet. Like, if you, you, you fly to the next state and it's like, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not coming back same day. Anyway. Um, and Poe says, largest fleet the galaxy has ever known. And, you know, this again is just that, J.J. Abrams' exaggeration for no gain. Like, the exaggeration takes me out of it. Like, just say, like, it'll be the biggest fleet in the galaxy. Or, or, like, just as ever known. It's just so, like, I don't know, overhyped. But anyway, uh, you know, I... There's some bits of this scene I like, like, I, I... but and I love seeing all the characters and stuff. But ultimately, it's um, it does take away my enjoyment of the film. So I'm going a two. I'm going a two. All right. So next up, we've got a pretty quick scene with Princess Leia and Ray explaining what she read in the ancient Jedi texts about Exegol. Uh, she has this line, find Exegol, find the Emperor. And did everyone else have heroes flashbacks of like, save the cheerleader, save the world? Or was it the other way? Save the world, save the cheerleader. Either way, it sounded very similar. Um, she explains the Wayfinder, which, um, you know, I've already gone on about my begrudgment of their using that. Like, it's not even a big deal, but it, it's it's like, um, what is it, death by a thousand cuts or something. It all, you know, that along with Charlie from Lost. It's, it's, it's too much, you guys. It's too much. Don't really dig this scene just because of all the exposition is... I just don't like where it's it's so convoluted. But what saves it, what brings it back up, is when Ray says that she's going to go, whether or not Princess Leia uh, or General Leia wants her to or not, or gives her blessing. She's going to go either way because it's what she would do. And that's a sweet line. And that's helps balance out this menu item, chapter item, and we'll be giving that a three. 
All right, I don't even know what to do with this uh, this this chapter. It is the the dizzying heights and the the the, the perilous lows. First up, we've got Ray getting on the Millennium Falcon, and then Poe Dameron and the squad rock up. She says she's going to Pisana, and Poe goes, "Yeah, we know. We're going with you." Yes, yes. Helping out heroes, helping out heroes. That's what it's about. Dizzying highs for this scene. Loving it. Won't be the last. Then this bizarre thing takes place. It's just an odd... I don't know if this scene is odd or it's just me, like, so aware of what's happening in real life that it's just so odd. But Finn sees Rose. Rose runs up. And Finn's like, this is your last chance to come. And she's like, nah, I've got to stay here and do my, my, my space homework with Princess Leia. And again, it's, it's death by a thousand cuts with these little reactions to, um, you know, the people that were really down um, and outspoken. Those ones. You can be down on The Last Jedi. And, um, you know, but yeah, that Rose scene is so odd. And then to emphasize that there is no romantic involvement between them, there's a, there's a pat on the shoulder. We'll do it, Rose. Oh, the dizzying lows. So we just went from like this amazing moment that I was like, yeah, heroes. And then it's like, oh, what? Now, only doing this rewatch have I noticed this. I always thought it was so weird that Ray's just staring off into the jungle. And then Poe comes up and goes, what, 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 what is it? And she's like, oh, nothing. And I was like, why is she just staring into the jungle? But in the opening shot of her staring, you can see she's staring at the ribbon up in the tree, the ribbon from the training montage. Did did everyone else see that except me? Or are you now gasping? I I need to know. Tweet me now at Steel Wars. Are you in disbelief that I didn't see it or you're in disbelief that it's there? Disbelief gate. 2020. Um... So I was, I, I was really relieved to find out that that scene wasn't just this random odd stare, which, again, I've seen the film like six or eight times or something, um, and I never saw the ribbon. So that, that might be a little bit of a quick cut. Because again, I I should know basic things of what's going on, or maybe I just—it's crazy. Maybe I'm. How did I not see it? Is what you think? Are you thinking how did I not see it, or you're just like, oh my god, I never saw the ribbon. I need to know at Steel Wars, um, or if you're doing uh, comments on the uh, on the Patreon for the Q and A, um, include that as well. Uh, and another uh, a great little clip of C three PO saying. Goodbye to R two D two. With uh, I just wanted to say that you know you've been a very good friend or whatever. And then I oh know he says a real friend, 
my best one in fact that's beautiful um i will we'll talk about c3po's sacrifice later on but this is sort of like the line that having seen the trailer with that amazingly far better edited scene with C-3PO um, saying goodbye to his, having one last look at his friends. I think it's way better in the trailer than it is in the movie. But that is one of the things where having the first time you watched the movie, having seen the trailer, it made this line, a real friend, my best one, in fact, like more touching because you'd seen the later on um, touching edit of, of that scene. Um, and it seems quite ominous for uh, either C-3PO's or R2-D2's future. But I think because we'd all seen the trailer, we were thinking it was uh, C-3PO in peril. And then there's another... This is never a um, a good thing to say to anyone. If you're ever in a movie, if you're ever a character in a movie, don't say to anyone, tell me when you get back. Because that... that, that you're just tempting fate with that. And that's what Princess Leia says to Ray. And look what happened there. So, the scene's got a little bit more stuff to go. But at this point, I'm down on the scene. Like, it went up, down, up, down, up, down. But the Rose thing just... It's just... Ugh. It's, it's just it's, again, it's this thing of, like, we're not going to have this... You know, for some people, very popular and popular for, like, okay, like, in some ways, popular for very special reasons. In that, you know, it's it's the first major, um, you know, Asian character in Star Wars, um, and then popular just because people just loved. I, I I'm I'm a Rose Tico fan. Like that versus like people that didn't like her and and you're allowed to not like every Star Wars character. And then especially the people that didn't like her for like heinous reasons. Um it it just rubs me the wrong way. And you know, if this was the only thing in this film that made me think that JJ was just you know, had this list of um major complaints about the last film but there's, there's so many cases of it. But then this menu item, this, this chapter finishes with everyone loading in to the Falcon cockpit. The, this uplifting music comes in. They take off in this beautiful shot out of the jungle, go off into the atmosphere or leaving the atmosphere. They're all getting seated. This music is so beautiful, so like... We're off on an adventure together. That's what this music says. That's what John Williams says. Chewbacca growls and then Ray smiles and says, it is. Which, if you do the the Wookiee math, he says, he like Chewbacca, I'm guessing, says something like, it's nice to be back all together again. Or to have a full cockpit. Or something like that. And Ray does a race mile and says it is it's 
it's one of I love just the sugary sweet moments in Star Wars. Like I'm with you too. Like oh, like, uh, um, it's working. Like I love that stuff, and this is one of the best ones. But it's in the same chapter as that Rose and Finn scene. Damn you, J.J. Abrams. I want to give this scene a five because it has, like, one of my favourite moments of the entire saga. You know, when I say that, I I don't know, it might, like, as far as, like, 20-second moments, it might make the top 100. I don't know. That's an interesting project. Which which is very good. That is that is that is like woof, that's the elite. I love it. I love the uplifting feeling I get from this. But then it's in the same menu chapter as I'm staying home to do my homework. Old mate, tap me on the shoulder. Give me a hearty pat on the shoulder to let us know that we're just getting along. So. I'm just going to give it a three. It 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 it, it just totally nullifies itself out. <laughs> it's going down as a three. All righty. All righty. So this menu chapter starts with the Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren going to the old mask welders, the old monkey mask welder to get the uh, Kylo Ren mask put back together, Um, (laughs) um, which, I don't know, man, if if, if, if that's not a metaphor for how I feel about the movie, that uh, J.J. Abrams is trying to put together his sequel to The Force Awakens out of the bits of um, The Last Jedi. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's very... Is that, a, is that a Freudian slip or is that... I, I don't know. Um, but it's very telling. Um, again, the helmet... I, I, to be honest, when I was talking about the helmet getting smashed before, I was sort of just like, oh, what what good does it do? do? But later on in this menu, uh, in this chapter, it does, it does actually bring me joy. So... I have to, yeah, I have to, oh, I have to let it go. Um, so then they're heading back to uh, the First Order's uh, Star Destroyer, whatever they're, they're chilling out in. And the uh, the Knights of Ren, their, their spaceship has smoke coming out of it. It's, it's pollutant. It's diesel. Oh, no, diesel. Is diesel pollutant? I don't can't work out, remember how that works. Um, anyway, um, yeah, the smoke coming out of it, which I, I do have to bring up as far as uh, the reality of space. When you had so much, um, like, this film sucks because bombs drop in space from The Last Jedi. I, 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 I've sort of... I'm in this really sweet bubble where, you know, what I refer to them as the angry boys, they don't just have to be boys. Um, I'm not saying they're men. I'm just saying they they could also be girls. Um, They went, I'm sort of, I've somehow through my internet filtering, I've just got no idea what they think of the film. 
um, I, I would presume like people that hated The Last Jedi are going to like this more um, for various reasons. Uh, should I go through the reasons? Um, one of which it, it sort of, it does seem to, you know, as of, it, it seems to fix inverted commas or alter back um, a lot of stuff done in The Last Jedi, the mask getting stuck back together, for instance, um, Finn and Rose, for instance. Um, and so there's that part of it that it just sort of, the film seems to say that it didn't like The Last Jedi if from a certain point of view. And also it's, you know, because this, you know, it, it sort of steers the story to a more, um, you know, on the basis, like a more natural ending, less surprising ending, I feel like, than The Last Jedi. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just like, it's more, you know, because people were so, so like, um, upset with Luke Skywalker was completely opposite to how they thought he was going to act. Whereas this doesn't have that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, but yeah, I, I do find it funny. Yeah, so I'm completely out of that bubble. I I, I, could, I have no idea what their opinion is on it. I assume they'd like it more. I don't. And but liking things more isn't very profitable. Um, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I am fascinated where because there's, there's so much made about those bombs dropping out of the ship at the start of the Last Jedi. If there's equal amount of of, of, of furor about a ship in space having. Um, like a a rusty muffler or something. Anyway, uh, we have the Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren. I do like that they fly separately. Like Kylo Ren's just like, I'm not riding with those dudes. Nah. Like they're always like smoking. Obviously they're always smoking. It's coming out of the back of the car. Um, but they uh, stomp onto the Star Destroyer, leaving dirt everywhere. I don't know how they've got so much dirt on their feet after all that. Like, it didn't fall off in there. Like, when they're getting off their ship, do they, like, put their boots in mud? So, just to mess up someone else's ship? And I'm, like, making jokes about it, but I actually think it's it's cool. Like, it's a cool visual. And they walk past these two stormtroopers, right? And then one of them, they say, one of them says... The Knights of Ren. And then the other one either says, at first I thought he said cool, right? Every time I saw it in cinema, I thought he said cool, which I was just like, that's odd. Then yesterday on Twitter, someone said and convinced me that he said goals, which is like so 2000... 18 speak goals. Um, and I was like, what? So I put it out there and then I actually did it. Like, cause I was getting all these things of people saying it, it's ghouls, it's fools, it's tools, it's mules. So I put up the top four respondents, uh, the top four like guesses, the most popular. And this is what I got back in. 16.8% thinks they say cool. He says, cool. 22% 
8.2% thought he says goals. 8.3% think he says fools. And 54.6% think he says ghouls. Now, either way, this is odd because it, they seem to say it so within their earshot. Like, it's it's sort of like going for that modern comedy that sort of, it's a bit much. Um, I thought it'd be a better effect, like a more subtle, more classic George Lucas sort of thing. And I mean classic, like original trilogy, um, you know, because a lot of his humour was not subtle in the prequels. Um, you can have the exactly the same, not have the Stormtrooper voices. Just have one Stormtrooper look at the other one and let that do the talking of just, just like, oh, Like, I feel like that would be, like, better setting the mood. But anyway, what do you guys think? Cools, goals, ghouls, fools. Either way, give me silence. Give me silence. Um, then Julio, our um, our informant from the start of the film, Mark Hamill, he's not doing that one anymore because his head gets dumped on the table. And there's, you know, a really cool, um, you know, throwback, modern-day throwback to the, uh, the Death Star conference scene in A New Hope with Tarkin and Vader where you've got... Um, is it Admiral Pride and um, Hux and Kylo Ren? Now, this is the bit that redeems the mask for me, is Kylo Ren saying, I sense your unease with my looks, the mask. And Hux goes, <laughs> says, like, like, I like what you've done or something. <laughs> and then the lady, which sort of um, makes, you know, it's, it's a pretty modern comedy sort of, vibe she says i i like it or say i just find that really funny even though i'm not really big on um him having the mask back um and you know there's a bit of force choking it's uh it's good stuff she he's going to hunt the scavenger with the knights of ren but um yeah it's up and down it's 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 kind of like I feel like there's things in this scene that are, are going for a two, um, and then there's things in this scene that are going for a four. Whereas last time the competing forces was like with that rose, um, and then the fly off scene. How much I love that and dislike the rose bit. Um, that's like a one competing with a five. I feel like this is a two competing with a four. Which means, you guys, we're going to log in another three. All right, so the next chapter is a pretty hefty chunk with uh, the Falcon in light speed, coming out of light speed and going down to Pasana. Can't beat classic shots like that. Coming out of hyperspace, light speed. Oh, going towards a planet. Ah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Uh, and then they fly past the uh, the two little space rabbits on Pasana, um, watching the Falcon fly past. J.J. Abrams is extremely good at putting in those little Star Wars things, 
that uh, make it all Star Warsy. So they arrive, they come around to see that festival going on, and it's at, uh, it's that sort of frustrating Star Wars thing where a ship goes towards a planet and then it's sort of parked already and you don't get to see it land because uh, a lot of the times a landing special effect, like, it isn't worth it. But I, I don't know. I just love seeing the Falcon land. <laughs> um, th- like, that's in no way can you count that as a negative for the film, <laughs> but it's just one of those things. Now, um, there's this scene or, or this, this line where C-3PO says um, it's a festival that happens every 42 years, which I thought that was a, a cool little shout-out to uh, how long the, the saga's been going for. Like, I, I some reason, I like that real-world Easter egg. It's, it's subtle enough. It's subtle enough. But then how he describes the festival and how lucky they are she, he takes that um, sarcastic comment that, oh, how lucky we are. Or, you know, lucky. What, someone says that. And then he says, oh, yes, it's, there's all light and sounds and, and great treats and stuff like that. And everyone turns around and looks at him. I didn't get that the first time I saw it in the theatre. Like, other people found it funny in the theatre. And I was like, huh? So I, I now get why it's funny. But I just don't find it funny because I didn't get the joke the first time. So I, I sort of watch and go, that's funny, but I don't find it funny. Very strange. Um, then Ray's looking around like very, she's never seen anything like this. She's having a great time. She's doing a little Ray faces. You can't go wrong. And then she sees all those little children, the little sort of pygmy creatures. Very cute. Very cute watching the the puppet show. Now, this is the thing about hugging all parts of the saga. I would have loved, adored, just thought it was the coolest thing ever if the puppet show they were watching was a variation of the Broom Boys little toy show from the end of The Last Jedi and the kids were marvelling at the heroic story of Luke Skywalker and how he stood up to the whole First Order. And that's their fairy tale. (sighs) We're now going to get into later on, but this is the first sign of just how I wished that the, um, the act of Luke Skywalker that inspired the broom boy and his friends, um, was better exploited in this film to make um, things make more sense for one thing and also give The Last Jedi its hug. Um, it also, like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about something that, that JJ uses from The Last Jedi amazingly well uh, towards the end of this scene. And so, yeah, we'll get back to that. The... Um, the lady who has got the beads is um, C-3PO introduces her to Ray and they have that, that really sweet scene where Ray says, um, Ray, what's your family name? Uh, it's just Ray, just Ray. Uh, setting up for the scene at the end of the film. And I think that's, that, that's pretty sweet. I, I am pro um, Ray Skywalker uh, for how I interpret it. And it was one of the things I wanted from the film 
was uh, I think that was my prediction for the colon the uh, the prediction contest, which we'll be getting to the prediction contest in February. Don't worry, uh, should be good fun. I think I might win, but because my prediction was that Ray would take on the name of Skywalker by the end of the saga, but anyway, so um, and then the force bond starts, and uh, we get a bit of uh, FaceTime and. How JJ uses the force bond in this film, taking it on from uh, The Last Jedi, he does a great job of uh, expanding on how that all works. And he, he sort of JJ stretches it like, you know, a thousand ships, the, the biggest fleet the galaxy's ever seen. He does that to the force bomb, but it really works. His, um, his extension of it, um, pushing the boundaries of that is, uh, I think it works really well in this film. Makes for some great fight scenes. Keeps the, um, it's an amazing trick to keep um, the hero and the villain interacting all through the film without actually, um, you know, needing them to be on an adventure uh, together. It's it's a great device for that. Um, now, he grabs the necklace, which is uh, a sweet, very uh, good writing because it, it, it not only establishes that Kylo Ren can use that to track Rey, but it establishes... The, um, the power of being able to pass physical things through that. And that matches up so well with The Last Jedi. And we get... Remember the, the bit of water came through after one of the Force Bonds? So, the, the, the JJ pushing the boundaries of that, I think, works so well in this uh, film. And... He kind of redeems or, or, or brings a positive to the helmet coming back when Ray makes the observation that um, the cracks in the helmet expose something, but the, expose you or, or something like that. She says, "But um, I, I feel like that, that's, a, that's a positive. I, I, I love that line and, and that sort of train of thought." Um, also, very meta for the entire film that the cracks are showing through them trying to stick stuff together. I think I said that before. Uh, it's hard to keep track of, of doing all these in little segments, by the way, guys. Um, and then this when they're talking to each other, they get in a little bitchy Twitter fight where Ray's like, oh, you, you, you're haunted by what you did to your father. And he just tweets back, uh, do you still count the days since your parents left? Very cruel. Very, very cruel. And it ends with, uh, I, I, for some reason, I love this line reading from Daisy Ridley where um, Kylo Ren says, I'm, I'm going to come get you and, and convert you to the dark side. And she's like, we'll see. We'll see. She says it in this, like, snappy hiss way that's super cool. Very, I, I love that. So, um <laughs> I, uh, I'm big. This, this, this is um, a sweet chunk of Star Wars. I, I'm going to have to wa- put that down as a five, you guys. As a five. Uh, 
Okay, so I'm not sure if this should have been in the last chapter or not, but there is uh, a scene where when the the First Order technician or whatever says to uh, Pride and Kylo Ren where we discovered the um, we, we know where the necklace came from and Kylo Ren says prepare my ship alert the local troops and then Pride the light dims around him and he says yes Supreme Leader and you're not sure if he's the spy or not but um turns out he's not the spy so it makes you wonder does he do that every time he's told to do something he just the light dims and he says yes um i like as far as making everything make sense that poe dameron um establishes in the last scene that there are local first order troops in this area then kylo ren says alert the local troops and um, it explains how, you know, the, the action scene um, starts so quick. There, there are some things in The Force Awakens with how quick they get to Mars's castle planet. Um, is it Takadonna? From when they shoot the, uh, the laser on um, Starkiller Base. I always find that's like... It's a bit quick with what is happening. The way time elapses at Maz's castle seems very quick in considering the time it takes for the First Order to get there. So, um, But that's, a, that's a, a nitpick for another time. But my point being, when you establish these little things, it, um, you know, it helps explain why the action is uh, starting again so soon, that there's local, local troops. But anyway, as we get into this um, chapter proper, uh, a First Order trooper pulls his blaster on our heroes and he is met with a bow and arrow, a crossbow to the eyeball, which... It has to be the worst place to get hit with a crossbow, yeah? The eye? Ugh. Ouch. Owie. Uh, Then our masked vigilante says, follow me. And they jump into that, like, again, super cool, super Star Wars tractor. It's It's just a track. And you just get inside the track and you just track about the desert. I um it's just like it kind of reminds me of um some of the Tatooine droids in Star Wars like just the the half ball and stuff just just a real or treadwell droid just 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 a really bizarre future in a different direction design uh so then they jump in that and they say how did you find us and he takes his mask off. It's Lando Carizian. And he says, Wookiees stand out in a crowd. Best. He laughs. And he talks in Billy D. Williams' voice because he's Billy D. Williams. That is just best, best, best. So good. Love it. Love it. It's, it's so great to have Lando back in the film or back in the films. And I do envy, like, the casual fan that... 
didn't know that Lando Carizian was in this or maybe saw the trailer, then, you know, it sort of just drifted out of their mind that he was in it because, oh, what a treat. I like, you know, it was pretty obvious it was him from um, the moment we had a, 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 you know, a vigilante in a mask. But um, although you may have thought it was Jaina, you, you could have because, you know, she was seen with her bow and arrow. So I could see how maybe you went in the different direction. Um, is, is that like part of the thing of... Because there is like at one point they were going to be father and son, a father and daughter, sorry, Lando and Jaina. Um, you know, with that sort of odd scene at the end where they have the discussion about where they're from. There was a time when it was, well, from what we know, um, what we believe, very, uh, you know, good good sources, saying that there was a alternate version recorded where uh, they were, they did realise they they were related. So is, is that why they're both using sort of bow and arrow weapons um, in the is that meant to con- like that they both sort of lean that way? Um, I don't know. But Lando back in the film, the the energy that Billy D. Williams brings is ah oh, amazing, and I, I love the line where uh, Poe Dameron says we're looking for Exegol, and Lando world wearily replies, "Of course you are. So good, so good." Um, then. Lando says the thing about the Wayfinder. There was only two made. Again. Ugh. I just, again, you stretch. Why is there only two made? Why? Um, and then he talks about how he was tailing um, Oshu Bastoon, the, uh, the Jedi hunter. And when I first saw this, I had to like ring whores on Christmas day, no less. And he had to explain it to me that Lando and Han were tailing Oshi from around the time that Oshi left Jakku in the force back, which was when Ray was a little girl. And, then, like, tracked him from during that time to there, and that was after um, the parents got killed and and Ray did the scream. And I, I sort of, because I was sort of like, why could Oshi come here back then and then come back? Because, like, I, I didn't put it all together. And there's something about that... We like they didn't really explain that I thought it was really cool. Was the thing that we saw in the force back may have been him leaving quickly because Lando and Luke were almost caught up to him. Like, I thought that if they sort of explained that or said that they scared him off or something like that, and then like we at home or in the cinema could sort of piece it together that like, oh, that was from then. Like, I don't know, if Lando had said something like, oh, we tracked him from Highburn 8 to Saltaris and to Jakku, and then Ray's like, what, Jakku? But then the TIE fighters turn up and they don't get to talk about it anymore. But then in our mind, we get, 
like I, this is such a sweet um, putting together puzzle pieces, like a connection, like, like, um, you know, really just painted on connections. I, I don't really enjoy, but I feel like that one would have made an intricate, like I love, I'm not saying I came up with like that because that's what, when you think about the plot is what is implying that Lando and Luke chased him there after the, the force back, what was depicted in there. But I just feel like if they explained it a little bit more, it would like it'd be just it'd give like the Force Awakens a big hug. I'm talking, you know, and, and Force Awakens does get a lot of hugs in this film, but it would sort of like enrich that that Force back scene in the Force Awakens for me, for my type of fan. Um, Lando says he's got a bad feeling about this. Great stuff. Uh, then Ray says that Leia needs pilots, and Lando says his piloting days are over. And then there's this weird line where Lando says, send Leia my love. And Ray says, you should give it to her yourself. And I'm sorry. But I find that funny every time. It's, um, yes, the, the teenage boy in me. And then they're off for the chase scene. So... That is a, a pretty good scene. I, I feel like with like the Wayfinder explanation and like the, the confusing timeline, it's with Oshi, it's it sort of takes it down a little bit, but overall a, uh, a pretty good chapter. So we're going to give that one a four. So now we have Poe Dameron. Hot wiring a speeder, which Finn instantly remarkable just has a remarkable disdain for. I don't know what's happening. Um, they get in the speeders, and then those two first order speeder bike wheeled speeder bikes uh, start chasing them with the uh, the jet troopers on the back. Um, you know, some people thought, why why is there wheels in Star Wars? You know, the speeder bikes, but you know, there's been wheels. You know, it didn't make sense in Attack of the Clones. It doesn't make sense now. It's a like, it's a sweet ship. It's a sweet vehicle. Like that's the first. That I, I feel like that's the first goal. Um, and then you work away. You work your way back into the universe that way. And I, I reckon the bikes are super cool. Uh, a little bit of a tip of the hat, I would like to think to those uh, that that sweet two big-wheeled mini-rig, Hoth mini-rig toy from the 80s, which um, I definitely had. Love those mini-rigs. I used to I used to really... Um, the mini-rigs were one-person, one-figure economy vehicles in the 80s that sort of um, were a low budget, and they weren't from the film. There was stuff that could have just been off-camera. And my parents always got me those for Christmas so I could have many. But I was always just like, I just want one X-Wing. I just want one thing that's actually... I never had a toy except for an indoor speeder bike that was actually out of the film. Like, I had the figures, but no vehicles. Um, so I used to really have disdain for the mini-rigs. But now as I'm older, I, I, I'm now just like... And we were, we had some good missions. We had some pretty good adventures, me and those mini rigs. 
So, um, oh, it does. As you get old, you really sunrise, sunset. Hey, um, I'm, not, I'm not normally much of a, a jetpack fan in Star Wars. I, I, I don't like their overuse. I like the way Jango Fett uses them in uh, Attack the Clones. Some of the times they use them in The Mandalorian, it's a bit much. But I really enjoy this jetpack uh, chase through the canyon on the speeders. Um, again, JJ knows how to do these classic Star Wars uh Chases with plenty of uh, Star Wars banter. You know, they've got that, you know, they fly now, they fly now, they fly now. And um, C-3PO saying to Poe Dameron, excellent job, and then terrible job. I, I like that. I like the, uh, the live tweeting of uh, what's going on. And um, BB-8 lets off those um, canisters and Ray gets to say, never underestimate a droid. So a sick callback to, um, I was talking before, how they, they worked in Carrie Fisher's lines from The Force Awakens into that. Um, then, as the chase is about to conclude, Ray sees Oshie's ship, and, you know, I've, I saw it out there because they sort of came out around the same time, how the Mandalorian lives his ship out for like one night and it gets ransacked and, and Oshie's ship has just been there for like a decade. But whatever, it's Star Wars. Uh, and then anyway, Ray sees it and says, I've seen that ship before. This, I'm just going to continue my little fan edit. If... Lando had mentioned Jakku before as one of the planets they chased the Jedi Hunter to. And then in my script, in my revision, she would say, I've seen that ship before. And then think about it and then go, Jakku. Because she's thinking about Jakku because Lando brought it up. And you know, just, and then it's sort of the audience can, you know, put together more pieces as um, Ray does. Then... I get a um, a bit of jetpack redemption further as uh, they shoot down the last um, first order trooper in the jetpack, and he wildly squiggles about the horizon and then um, goes headfirst into a cliff face. Now, what I'm interested in, you guys, is um, they show all the uh, heroes uh, shooting up at the jetpack trooper has anyone out there seen an argument online or otherwise of people oh no it was finn that shot no 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 it was ray it was no it was poe dameron no it was it was definitely chewbacca you could tell because he shot the last bolt like i i i i just i don't know i'm fascinated to see if um i'm, I'm always fascinated why what generates someone's um like, like the minute, what, how they can go. Let's let's debate this tiny thing that's um, n- not even like quantifiable. I, I love all that stuff. So, has anyone seen an argument about that or a discussion? I um I would love to know about it. Now, I did think the way they the ships got exploded and they flew in the air and all landed. <laughs> I thought that was a bit rich, but it's Star Wars. It's Star Wars, and C-3PO just looks like... Is he way heavier? Like, how heavy is C-3PO compared to humans? Like, is the metal... 
Like, is it uses lighter things and like how heavy? How heavy is C three PO? Hmm. Because this seems when he lands, oof, it's it's like a really bad wrestling back bump or something. So yeah, after they uh, shoot down the jet trooper, they begin to sink into the quicksand. Quicksand. Welcome to Star Wars. Happy to have you. Always was fascinated with quicksand when I was little. Like in like black and white Tarzan, like when you're just like, I just need to watch something on television and um, you end up watching some black and white show on um, like on a Sunday afternoon or something. But quicksand was always, uh, I was always fascinated with it, terrified of it. Never wanted to uh, deal with quicksand. But um, as they're sinking... And I love the panic. I love quicksand panic. Like, like BB-8, BB-8. I so into it. But then Finn says, there's something I have to tell you. And thus starts one of the bizarrest plot lines in Star Wars history. Surely. Um, as... You know, Chris Terrio, and I think JJ has said in uh, post-interview or post-movie interviews, is that what he was going to say was that he's Force-sensitive too. I kind of think that's not what he was going to say originally when they filmed it. Um, And it's such a very JJ Abrams thing to do is just totally change the motivation of something and sort of not notice that the tone is a little off for what he was going to say. But I'm not sure if this has even been reported or whatever, but I've heard, so take it as you will, that the original thing he was going to say was that he loved Ray. I've, I've, I've heard that, um, like, it was filmed and then later they changed it around and sort of wove it into the um, him being Force-sensitive. It's just what I've heard. And I don't know, because all that I've got to tell you something stuff it just doesn't play naturally to me to what, yeah, if, if it was, it's, it's just, it's just odd. Um, why would you treat being force sensitive the same way as saying, I love you? Hmm. I don't know, but, um, and and then, then when you take into account how I was talking about before, you know, Lando was going to be the the father, and what like there was different ver- variations of that, and it, it's just it's a it's a super JJ Abrams thing to do, is um, you know, you sort of shift the story a bit, but it he doesn't sort of I don't know to me you notice like it it feels odd, um how it all comes together. 
and it definitely fits into the harsh friend zoning of uh, Rose Tico. Hmm, that pat on the shoulder. The plot thickens. So, that was a pretty banging chapter of Star Wars. Um, the the action was, was top notch. Very much enjoyed it. Very funny. Very Star Wars. Um, loved the quicksand, but the introduction of the Finn subplot does drop it down for me a little bit. So we're given that one a four. All right. In this chapter, we've got a JJ mate alert. Snap Wexley, Greg Grunberg. Rocks up in his X-Wing pilot suit to Princess Leia and says that there's been a raid on uh, Pasana and they haven't heard anything. And as I've mentioned, given how much time Rose Tico got in the film, anytime one of J.J. Abrams' old mates has a line in the movie, I'm just like, um, Yeah, I... What? Like, I, I'm going to be ultra nerdy because the the whole scenario of um, her not being in the film, like hardly at all. Um, It's like less than two minutes or something. But um, yeah, so I'm going to come down a bit nerdier on this. And like, why is an X-Wing pilot passing on information about this? Why is he in his suit doing it as well? <laughs> I know why he's in his suit doing it is because they only fitted him for one costume. But, uh, like, Rose Tico could be the person delivering this information to Princess Leia rather than Rose Tico being behind Princess Leia. Like, she's really grumpy in one scene for some random reason. So there's that. Then we go back to the cave. C-3PO um, complains that you didn't say my name, but I am quite all right, which is the best use of, I, th- I kind of think they overdo it in this film, the C-3PO going, oh, and you didn't mention me, but I'm here as well. He does it. Uh, there's like two or three lines, but this is where it works the best. Um. I love this scene so much in the cave. It's got a real Raiders of the Lost Ark vibe about it. And it's sort of so lo-fi, you know, in that it could have been a set on an 80s or a 70s Star Wars film that I can sort of really picture myself being a little kid watching this on video on a Saturday afternoon, like this scene, I guess because I watched so much uh, Indiana Jones on Saturdays as well as Star Wars. And this is, yeah, I I love the tone of this scene. Uh, Another good bit of comedy is uh, Ray turning on her lightsaber and Poe Dameron turning on his uh, torch. I think it's real good. I think it's real good. But then uh, Ray gets into the whole what were you going to tell me thing and Poe wants to know as well. We all want to know. And then Finn reacts to that by going on about the shifty stuff that Poe's doing. And I don't know, I, I just find this so weird as well, partly because the whole 
thing with, you know, we've gone over with Poe's backstory as being a spice smuggler is, uh, you know, it's doesn't line up with the backstory already presented to us through books and comics and stuff. Uh, and I know there's, a, you know, there's a book coming out that's going to um, mesh all that together. But why is Finn so shocked that someone can hotwire a car in Star Wars? It's, I don't know. I, I, I just find, like, the droids are, like, hotwiring stuff all the time. Um, yeah, I just... I don't know. I just think he's he, he's just overreacting. Um, and then they find Oshie's bones. I sort of like all the, the little um, exposition through all this. And C-3PO, he, he excels in the cave environment with the line, bones, never a good sign. <laughs> that's, that's some good gear. That's some good gear. So they find the blade. Um, again, C-3PO... Love this development. He can read it, but he can't say what it is because it's a it's a banned language. I think that's I think that's a cool little plot device. I think that's cool. And then oh my god, C3PO is so good in this scene. He says the line Serpent, Serpent, Serpent. Uh and then we meet the uh the, the trope of the the beast that's injured and uh the kind hero. Uh, heals them, pulls out the um, pulls out the splinter, uh, or in this case uses force powers to uh, heal. Which wasn't it weird how that lined up with Baby Yoda, Yoju, if you will, doing that in the Mandalorian. Like of all the things to line up, um, Serion. So Yoju did it. F- First, or did they do it on the same day? No, Yoju did it first because they released that one on the Wednesday from memory. And then the film came out on Thursday. But, uh, yeah, odd. Um, but it did line up. So there you go. Then uh, BB-8 is quite impressed with Ray's effort and in a delightful you can't go wrong with Ray and BB-8. Um, Ray says that she shared some of her force energy with the serpent and comments that BB-8 would do the same too, which is a delightful piece of foreshadowing for a later scene. Delightful. Uh, so the cave... Um Let's go, that whole, I guess the Snap Wexley thing, that's going to take it down. If that wasn't included in this chapter, we could be on a five because I really enjoy um, everything in this scene, but that is included, so I'm going to drop it down to a four. All right, in our final menu chapter for the first act of the movie... As determined in conversation with King Tom and Hawes Burkhart. Thanks for your advice, guys. We open with the Knights of Wren on top of a cliff, camera rotating. Can I take you higher? They can. Um, a pretty rad shot, but not really part of the established uh, visual language of Star Wars. So... It does sort of stand out a little bit. I don't know if you just 
if you just took the music away and just had the wind or had the music and didn't have the, the sort of helicopter shot. Um, I don't know. It's, it's no, it's, 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 it's a very minor thing. I know a lot of people didn't like the helicopter shot at the end of the force awakens with, uh, when Luke was on the Octo, but yeah, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Although acknowledging, um, not a very, you know, classic star Wars shot, but you know, they've got to make these films. They're making them now. Well, they're not making them now. <laughs> but they will again. Uh, one little sweet um, thing that happens in this scene is we get to see, or we get to hear um, C-3PO say Millennium Falcon. Um, the way he says Falcon. Millennium Falcon. I can't even, I can't do it. I, oh my God. Did you hear that C-3PO voice? I, I went for the wrong English. I, yeah, voices, they are not my thing. Although I, I feel like I, I, I do a pretty good Eric Struthers when I'm warmed up. So, uh, Ray walks out into the field, the desert field to, um, cause she can feel Kylo coming, uh, in this really amazing scene from the, the, the teaser trailer. I love this scene. I love how this unfolds. I, I, I love the backflip. But can someone tell me, what is Kylo Ren trying to do here? Like, what's his, what's his goal of running her over with the TIE fighter? Is he, like, just trying to vibe her and he's just going to go close? Or I don't... I'm not sure what, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what his, um, like, motivation is if Ray didn't do the backflip and cut. And I know he's doing it, you know, the real movie, the real world thing is, like, he's doing it because then Ray could backflip over it and it's going to be awesome. But um, in the movie, why is he doing it? What's his... What do you hope to get out of this, Kylo Ren? Huh? Have a look at yourself, buddy. With your mask on all cracked. Silly boy. Uh, then backflip. Love it. Uh, Kylo Ren's TIE fighter. Um, you're done, son. You're gone. It's his, um, he goes through a few TIE fighters in this film, as will... Uh, yeah, I, I, we'll, we'll talk about that um, in in the next episode. In the next episode, uh, and hopefully, when I'm watching, uh, like on this sort of in this sort of close up way, I'll be able to work out whether, like the other, the next Tie Fighter that he flies in, is got different markings on it than this one because this one's this one's done, son. Unless Kill's going to come with the Mandalorian and put it together in one night. Ah, oh, gripe from another show. Whew, this kid won't stop. Now, uh, then Finn calls out that Chewie is in the uh, the shuttle and Ray tries to force grab it. Uh, finally, someone's grabbing something out of the sky with the force. YouTube rejoices. Or does it? And then Kylo Ren 
rocks up to his uh, that, that that original. I guess it's the Kylo Ren theme, or I, I don't know. I don't really track that very well. But um, the the same music that when he walks out of the uh, the shuttle in the Force Awakens, which I really love. That like ah, so good. So then they get in the Force tussle, and Ray then sends a bit of sweet lightning up and blows up the shuttle. Is stunned, and then. Uh, Finn screams at her to run off. Now, another thing with Kylo Ren's motivation, why does he just stand there? Like, I just don't know what he's doing, like what his goal is of all this. Like, he just sort of lets her get away. I would, you know, maybe sort of headcanon that he's shocked that Chewbacca is dead because, you know, they, they had a history together being um, his dad is Chewie's best friend or was Chewie's best friend, RIP Han Solo, or is it? But um, that's not really conveyed. So why does he just stand there? Very odd. But this is the uh, the, the final menu chapter out of the first act of the three acts in the film. And I I think it wraps up quite excitingly with uh, the action scene of the backflip, the backflip, the backflip lightsaber trick and uh, the reveal of Ray having the force lightning and the, uh, the fake death of Chewbacca. Uh, our, is this our first fake death of of the movie? There is there's a couple too many of them for my liking. Um, yeah, there's one I would change later on. I got big changes planned for this C three PO arc because he's doing so well. Honestly, that scene of him before in uh, in the cave is, or maybe on, I reckon. Pasana, Pasana is three PO's best pilot. That's he's he's done his best work. He did some good work on Hoth, um, but I, I really think Pasana is three PO's best pilot because he, he's back in the desert environment. He knows how to act on a desert. Uh, he's been there. He's done that. He's a seasoned performer in uh, the desert situation. So. Um, I'm going to give that one a four. I'm going to give that one a four. Um, You know, if you look at it super deeply, what the hell is Kylo Ren doing? But, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I I don't think you can let that cloud too much um, because that might break. That could be something that breaks a lot of things in Star Wars. Or maybe not. I don't know. We'll, uh, We'll find out another day. So, what I'm going to do now, just gave that one a four. I'm going to uh, tally up all these scores and we'll come back with our report from the first act of the film. I uh, hadn't really considered how long uh, doing this for the film (laughs) would take, both in my time and your listening time. So, uh, once I realised that we were closely uh, approaching, I think it's like two hours for uh, the 
first 42 minutes of the film, give or take, um, I figured putting out a, a six or seven hour podcast might not be the best idea and it will take me a couple of weeks to do. So what I'll do is spread it over three parts and that will give you and me time to live in between all this Star Wars chatter. But uh, this is this has been super fun and or for me anyway. And I, I had to get this out of my system. Um, I just... I'm I'm so torn on this film, uh, where it, it has parts that I love so much, but the its implications on the entire story, it um that it sort of it was disappointing. It was disappointing. So yeah, I thought this would be a good way to explore that and sort of you know talk about things I really love and things that I not so love in a in a constructive and hopefully entertaining uh, way. And then we can appreciate stuff. And also people that love the film, I'd be fascinated to find out about whether, you know, you maybe don't agree with my points or they don't sort of, uh, maybe you agree with them, but they just don't, it doesn't bother you like it, it does me. Um, cause that's, it, it, that's what I find interesting about all this Star Wars talk is, is, is seeing how people relate to the, the same media, the same story and, uh, what they get out of it. So we will set up a very basic Excel spreadsheet and formula to, uh, add it all up, uh, give us the average, give us the medium, give us the mode. I am, I'm a very lightweight statistics, um, fan and we'll see what act one did and also on the Patreon, I'll put up all the chapters, the listed, the list of all the chapters as how I will name them and my score. And then you guys, if you want, if you want to play along as well, you can work out what your score would be for all this. Very fun. Back after this. Okay, the tabulations are in, and that was 17 virtual DVD chapters. I wonder if that's, I wonder if I'll come up with a similar number that they, I'm not sure if that's a lot of chapters, like if that times three, if that um, is going to be too many chapters compared to a Blu-ray, but uh, I will check into that before the next episode. So I have added them up, 17 chapters, equaling a score of 61, which divided by 17 is 3.58. So that, we've got to round that up to a four, um, you know, because it's out of five. When it, we, You know, technically it's a 3.5. Um, but then looking at the the medium, the, the middle score out of all of them, if you put them in order, um, the medium score is a four and the score made the most is a four. So I'm going into the first act thinking some pretty good stuff. I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time. I, I, I must say though, I'm not sure if it was, you know, when you see a new Star Wars film, it is always jolting, but... I 
I did, I was having a hard time clicking in to the rhythm of the movie. Definitely the, the hypers, hyperspace skipping um, was the first, you know, very early sign of that. But I hope you've uh, enjoyed my uh, running through the first act. I, I've actually had a real good time doing this. And I, I, I feel like that's kind of a very helpful thing in Star Wars fandom if finding ways to enjoy something. So, you know, the the rise of Skywalker is far from my favourite Star Wars film. I, um, I, I was, you know, as we don't have to go over this, it's, we've talked about it for two hours, but I like some bits, but overall it, it, it did leave me disappointed. But um, I've, I've had a lot of fun watching it in close detail. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a good time. So uh, if you have enjoyed this, please help spread the word um, on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, become a patron. There is so much patron content going up this week. Just this week, we've had a, a Q&A. We have had a Star Wars You by podcast. So fun. Um, doing the second half of 1978. Um, the first half is on the free feed. Um, if you're not yet a patron, so check that out. But if you want the second half, um, yeah. $3 on Patreon for the month. And also there is the second Robo Report, which is our Mandalorian commentary. So we've got our one, two, and straight after I'm done uploading this, I will be uploading episode three for uh, patrons exclusively. Uh, we put up every third uh, Patreon uh, show up on the main feed to to tantalize you in and also to, to share the content because I have um, super fun recording all these with all our different Patreon buddies. And there's a pretty new Page Wars as well with King Tom. So uh, check all that out. Um, if you're on iTunes, write us a sweet five-star review. It really helps um, spread the word. Let other people know that we're good doing good stuff. Thanks so much, you guys. It's been super fun. And may that force be with you.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.